is where it gets really woolly. They don't want anybody to grasp it. Is that the, in the future deal that Boris has just signed, two weeks before the end, you know, the, 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 the culmination of it, defence and security was inserted into future Horizon Europe. So we've signed, we're in. Britain is in European Defence Union, in silence, with not one MP, Labour, Tory, whatever, saying a dicky bird. David, good morning, sir. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Yes, good, mate. Good. So I had an email uh, recently from a former Special Forces veteran that said, I need to speak to you. And I've, I'm aware of your work because I think just being in this field, you, 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 you get to know what certain, certain people are doing or the movers and shakers. And hence, we're having this chat. We, we, I think we share not just joint concerns about, let's call it the appropriation of our, our very loyal military. Um, but I know that you and I also see it at a, as a sort of structural level, which is why I welcome you onto the podcast. It gets quite difficult to not not difficult but it's not really my thing is to talk about good guys and bad guys it's not it's just not it's not helpful that's like old school thinking from pre-bloody first world war or well second world war what i like to do is look at what is happening in the world what why is it like this who is controlling it who makes the money from it and of course who who gets the power and i know that we we think along the same lines. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably the best, where, where European Defence Union is concerned, it's probably a good idea to look at it structurally. And I think that was the thing that really, when we, when we spoke about this, you know, on the warm up, it was effect well, uh, great, because this thing's an elephant. And if you start getting into good guys, bad guys, who's a good MP, who's a bad MP, you've lost it. You've, you've, you're already, you're already, you know, you're not starting from, a, from the sort of causation and source. And the structure of what's 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 happening so it, it you know just just sort of to take it from the top european defense union has been on the agenda for decades this is not a new concept uh the concept is very different from nato you can't compare the two the two completely different structures two completely different operating concepts so where nato um was a, a collection of um, sovereign nations, militaries working in uh, working together. European Defence Union is literally unifying all of those nations, uh, militaries, and the defence industry into single point command and control from Brussels, and that's an all-in concept. So that's capital, operational budgets, procurement the industry as well, because they want single point industry. They want one single European defense contractor for everything. Ships, planes, guns, bombs, satellites, computers, the lot. So that's the goal. 
So in Britain, we're down to, you know, probably four or five big defence contractors. And then there's a load of small and medium, uh, medium sized businesses and a lot of family firms that do engineering that feed into that. They are all at risk in this in this structure and gambit. Now, from a, a historical perspective, defence unions, as I said, has been around for decades. So we've got sort of references to it going back to Avril Harriman. So that's roughly around the war period and the structure then of the Marshall Plan. <clears throat> it surfaced first, really, when we got our good whiff of it in 1984, when Maggie Thatcher was asked for defence union, along with, and these are the crucial bits, along with loss of the national veto, and I'll come back to that, and currency union. So defence union, currency union, loss of the national veto, i.e. just abandon your own government. You were going to be consumed into this. So that brings us to, so that's 1984. Now, if we just, just literally pause at that point, all the military guys out there uh, and the vets will remember the 1981 not review, where our, our military was absolutely cut to shreds and that process of cutting. So we cut, okay? So in the media, we tend to get this... Uh, this uh, cutting uh, process uh, normalized so the public will accept it on all sorts of gambits like, you know, there's not enough money or whatever else, or the Cold War's over or all this kind of stuff. But actually what's going on is a process of unification. Uh, the British military was way too big. There was no way Europe was gonna, you know, the smaller European nations were gonna accept 500,000 British uh, military personnel going into defense union because we would be the major party. It didn't work like that. We want common, right? So the levels of that have been brought down clearly because each review has been about cutting, not about defense and threats. The review is the mechanism. That's the, the, the dirty work is done there. So we're about to go into a review now. And this brings us into the, into the, into the here and now. What are the major, major factors in the structure? So we've got Tony Blair on video at the Munich Defence Conference um, a couple of years ago, admitting he initiated European Defence Union with Jack Chirac. So this is a major structural intergovernmental level, EU British, right? So e Blair, big EU bandit, okay? And Blair, Blair's conversation at the Munich Defence Conference articulates the same structure, tasks, schedule, and general scheme of European Defence Union, it is exactly what Ursula von der Leyen is talking about. Now, she's been on camera several times at press conferences telling everyone what's involved, okay? So we got Maggie saying no, okay? And we come back to the veto. Now I'm gonna come into Brexit. So this is when I got really active with this subject because I saw in 2010, Rolls-Royce Anstey shut and all of the engineering companies around me were annihilated. At the same time, we had Admiral Sandy Woodward who led the task force down to the Falklands to retake the Falklands, okay? And him saying, uh, look, we can't defend either end of the channel now, basically, with what's happened in the defense review and the defense cuts in 2010. Yeah, so that was Cameron. Now, what we now know is Cameron and May were carrying on, albeit in silence, with the plan of unifying and doing defence on a pan-EU basis. So now we come to Brexit. So we're going to leave the EU, take back control, yeah? Take back control of laws, borders, customs, 
and you know and all this sort of stuff but there was the big key factor the elephant in the room the major component was defense and security and it was excluded from that structure and basis of the brexit gambit i i tried really hard to get it to go in and i was told by a former chief of defense staff uh admiral lord boyce all this is separate it's in a completely separate silo. It's just not included. So the Tories span us this line of you think you're leaving. Well, that didn't include Her Majesty's Armed Forces and all of the defence industry. They're completely separate. But it's a bit like a, a bit like a photon. It sort of travels in a straight line and in a wave at the same time. It's really, this is where it gets really woolly. They don't want anybody to grasp it. Is that the, in the future deal that Boris has just signed, two weeks before the end, you know, the, the, the culmination of it, defense and security was inserted into future horizon Europe. So we've signed, we're in. Britain is in European Defense Union, in silence with not one MP, Labour, Tory, whatever, saying a dicky bird. We've got a few old uh, officers like Julian Thompson, Jonathan Riley, Roger Lane Knott, Colonel Kemp, uh, myself, you know, other people that have been very verbal about it, trying to get it, you know, trying to get this submarine to surface so we can all see what, what it is. It's been incredibly difficult because we've been blocked. So the reason for that is, of course, no one in Britain will vote for it. Structure. Won't get a majority. Just, just well, OK, we won't even talk about that. So let's come back to Blair. So Blair, and I'm going to bring, I've always said the way we need to do this is the vets uh, the Veterans Legal Pursuit Issue and Defence Union are actually two, two sides of the same coin. And that is that Blair obviously omitted the vets from the Northern Ireland deal. They were excluded and now they're being pursued. <clears throat> so now I'm, now I'm going to bring in General David Petraeus. You can go and Google him, look at his CV. It's, it's as bad as big as you can get militarily in the US, okay? And he came over in uh, nine, uh, 2018, spoke at Policy Exchange about the legal pursuit of our veterans, which was, you know, well and truly underway by this stage. We'd quashed the IHAT thing where we have Johnny Mercer confronting Stephen Lovegrove, the Permanent Secretary of Defence Committee. And Petraeus said some very crucial things. This is to do with the, with the legal framework, the structure of how we fight. Okay, Americans, pretty much Geneva Convention and what uh, what the UK government has done is it's flipped over to European Convention on Human Rights and this has allowed all these legal pursuits to come in to pursue our vets. It's a double-pronged attack obviously because they weren't excluded from the NI deal where Blair gave the IRA get out of jail free basically uh, but now we see this complete uh, unlevel field of like I think there's 722 British servicemen been murdered in Ireland, not one investigation currently. Um, so, you know, it can't be more glaring. Now, the reason for that, of course, is if you were going to fight with the EU, which clearly we are, you would fight under their legal framework. And that's how I want people to sort of bring this, the two subjects of European Defence Union and the pursuit of the vets together. And we kind of anchor that. The story's pegged off Tony Blair. All right. So that's a sitter. We've got General David Petraeus going, you can see what you're doing, you know, highly credible, referenceable source, and it's the legal framework. 
Now, recently had that with Anne Widdicombe. Um, it's very good at the structural engineering of both in and out of government, whether you, how you would do it, you would engineer the argument and the policy, whether you were in or out of government in opposition. And she said to me, well, if this, it's natural. You know, you, if, if you were going to go into Defence Union and Anne and Nigel Farage um, uh, in the Brexit party opposed going into European Defence Union, they were the only political party to do it. Nobody else didn't even get a mention with the Tories or Labour. So that's sort of um, as best as I can sort of sum it up to where we are now, apart from this uh, review that's about to be published where we're getting a huge amount of traffic over the last few weeks, where our side are trying to expose the, the veterans issue and the European Defence Union, and the government side is trying to sort of, you know, go 180 degrees with the mainstream media um, traffic that's being generated. So, crikey, that's a bit of a... <laughs> it's a bit of a sit rep, isn't it? So. Yes, can I just tell you how I, I see it? Um, this is for the benefit of our, our viewers and listeners. And I don't, I think I've said this to you before, Dave, I don't really get involved in the nitty gritty. I, I couldn't even tell you really who's in Parliament if I was honest, because uh, it's, to me, it's all a sham, it's a game. There's a certain system in place that it doesn't matter what good intentions you have when you become a junior minister or MP or whatever the right expression is. You at a certain point, there's a glass ceiling and you're only allowed through it if you're corruptible and you're blackmailable. And personally, I think we saw this with Tony Blair in the uh, Iraq war who got up there and even after everyone said, no, we don't want war. You know, I think a million people marched in London and there's old Tony gets up the next day. Yes, but 45 minutes, we're all going to be dead. And, and then there was the horrible incident with David Kelly, who was the guy that honestly put his hand up and said, you know, I don't think this intelligence is credible. And so when I heard of uh, the whole Brexit thing. My thoughts, my thoughts are that that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, that that ain't gonna happen. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sorry if I, I'm pausing folks. It, it's just really hard to frame this for people that are probably thinking, what the hell are these guys talking about? Um, what? But, I, I, there's an easy way of, of doing this because I've spent a lot of time, Chris, face to face with MPs, ministers and, and, and these sorts of political people. Now, fortunately, I've had a lot of time with with military blokes uh, from, you know, from rank and file all the way through to chiefs of defence staff. You know, so I'm quite privileged because of, you know, of that perspective. And what you get what you get on the veterans, the crown side. And the officers is absolute clarity, you know, sense, uh, quickly get it. You know, I can't find any of these officers, senior officers that at the moment think that this defence union is a good idea, that Ursula von der Leyen is either credible or it's going to work or it's just going to be a disaster. So maybe it's designed to fail. But where the politicians are concerned, the way politics works in Britain, OK, there's two fundamentals. All right. It's a one party state. 
Let's just accept that because the, the MPs are instructed by the whips. The whips take their instructions from the Treasury and Bank of England. Okay. The Prime Minister is First Lord of the Treasury. He takes his orders from the Treasury, the structure. Okay. Now, I know this because a full Trident Admiral told me he's witnessed these events where both sets of whips get simultaneous sets of script from single point source. The Treasury guys issue the whips with the instructions of what they want to happen simultaneously to both Tory and Labour whips. All right. So when I mean, I've knocked doors because I've been at the coalface politically at, at, at the local end. The general public understand this, but they don't know the detail. And the detail is really simple because that's that's what happens. All right. So it doesn't matter what party you vote for, you know, heads, they win, tails, you lose. The general public have understand this because our turnout is so low. People don't, you know, the majority don't vote. They don't actually have a mandate if you want to look at it that way. But of course, on the doors that I've knocked, and this is the thing that used to really stick, so what's the point? You're all the same. What's the point in voting? There's no difference because it's true because conservative have gone left. They're not doing anything conservative at all. They are literally left. Um, we've had the flipping of the ministers structurally. Their power was stripped away by Tony Blair. So the ministers don't do anything other than rubber stamp what the machinery in the cabinet office, you know, the government actually tells them, you know, they get their script and what's going on. Johnny Mercer is a good example here in the cabinet office with the VA department. Scripts come from the, from the cab, from the office. Not, he doesn't generate policy. <laughs> he's got no, you know, he's the sacrificial lamb. Vets, can you just project onto Johnny? Cause you're just wasting your time and effort. Actually who you need to project onto is the permanent secretary, Stephen Lovegrove, who's now the head of national security. Okay. So there's where we need to focus. We, you know, it's pointless, you know, have a conversation with your MP by all means, lobby them, write to them, tell them you're, you know, instruct them, you know, go as firm as you want. But the, you know, the problem we've got under the Blair government, and he's, you know, he created so much trouble in this country. Now, the other thing he did, which isn't, people don't understand, he took all the power off the senior officers. Mm. The senior officers now are wingless birds. They just look pretty in uniform. You know, they might have a little, you know, a modicum, a margin of power. But as Dennis Hutchins said to me in the week when we had a bit of press coverage uh, that he got with John Ingham in the Express, the last guys that were really having a good go, General Dannett, all right? Now, I know that. I know he had a good go, okay? He's a good guy. He had a good go, all right? But their power was removed. So the admirals and the generals and the air chief marshals, the power's behind them. It's unseen in the machinery, in the structure. Uh... Uh, so they wheel them out and they look pretty and the public are reassured and all the rest of it. But there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a system there going on. And of course it all comes back to how are we going to do defense? Uh, and so hands up at this stage, anybody want to go into defense union? It'll be German led, German led industry as well. I've, David, I've got to interrupt you and probably to clarify what I started earlier. This is the way it's going, right? And unless people are prepared to act, the reason I hold up this book for anyone listening on, on iTunes or whatever, it's 1984. And I'm not using that as like a, a Bible. I'm using it as a guide to understand everything that's gone on during my lifetime. So 
we're, we're living on a planet that is controlled by elitist sociopaths. Uh, it's been that way for 8,000 years since they, um, I don't know if the word is co-opted, but let's just say corrupted the money system. They're looking for this state where in, in Orwell describes it as you've got the three nation states, the, the uh, Eurasia, the, um, Europa and whatever. Uh, uh, yeah. But forgive my memory, folks, but you get what I'm saying. These three states in a constant state of fear, which is created by phony wars, by the false flag operations, by bombing your own side and blaming it on a, on a fictitious enemy. All the stuff we've seen, um, you know, all, the, all those that are awake, that, that, that have seen going on, certainly in the last 20 years, historians that are awake will tell you, no, it's, it, this, this goes back centuries, right? Um, and the issue we've got now is until people can see through this and see that politics is a sham, it's the, the front of the sociopaths. It, it's the way they get the gullible masses to believe that we have democracy and that, that, that there's choice. And of course, as you said, whether you vote left, right, middle, blue, green, pink, green, whatever it is, that there isn't choice. Let's face, face it. Um, well, I mean, the choice, you know, let's we because we're on sort of defence and security with this, you know. None of this since Thatcher last spoke about. Now, I'm not endorsing fully Margaret Thatcher, but where this particular thing is where she said no to it, absolutely 100% agree. Um, since that point, this issue has been a submarine. There's been no, nothing in anybody's policy openly that discusses this in Britain, mm. right? Neither Labour or Tory since 1996 when she last spoke about it in Washington, Okay. Other than them, when, when obviously the balloon went up with the pressure and whatnot of, of, of Brexit and this just, just starting to flutter on the surface. Uh, and then we have Blair admitting it and the, these, all these admissions and so forth. Nobody's voted for this. And yet there's a bill. It's not for free. You're going to pay tax. There's massive sums of money involved with this once, it's, once it starts to roll. And the key thing is, just as on an individual, so we go from the taxation basis personally, all right? So the payment vehicle for EDU is already in the horizon paperwork that Boris has just signed, all right? And the initial payment is $4 billion. Now, Ursula von der Leyen, just a couple of days ago from when we're recording now, went on the EU channel and announced she's got, you know, $12 billion now in the European Defence Fund to go shopping for equipment for the EU. Now, at the point that they procure and issue the equipment and they draw all these, you know, you know, troops in from here and there, or maybe it's maybe it's a, you know a squadron or two of aircraft, or maybe it's a few frigates and destroyers in a, in a naval thing, because this is not an EU army. This is all services, everything, every service you can think of is included. SF all the way down to the engineers all the industry, the lot, right? It's not an EU army, it's our army unified into the EU, right? So when she goes shopping, she's already told everyone, we want single point um, 
production and manufacture. So the, let, let's just say Rhine Metal make a new armoured personnel carrier or a tank, all right? Because that's going to happen. We're going to lose our challengers. Challengers, they're going, right? They've already drifted that one out, and they're going to cut more personnel and so on, all right? So when Rhine Metal make the EU tank with the EU money, and it goes off to different places, different countries. The minute they do that, they've unified the military. The act has happened. Mm -hmm. And it will be so subtle. Now, we're already seeing this. The Paras, uh, Rusty Furman and I have revealed this um, recently. The Paras have been out on exercise with EU4, so that's EU force, under EU command. He just happened to be an Austrian commander. I don't know whether anybody want to comment on that in Bosnia-Herzegovina on a rapid reaction integration exercise, right, where we caught them with and without the EU motifs on their uniform. Once we revealed it, they got covered up because obviously the general public in Britain would be going, thought we were leaving. Hang on a minute, what's the military doing in this? Questions would have been asked. So we're gonna see now this, you know, cause it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Pan-EU defense, Chris, It'll be fantastic. Can you imagine the sales pitch for it? Right? You know, coming into your 1984 aspect. And then Blair and von der Leyen have already said they're going into Africa. The EU is going into the Sahel. Militarily. Peace, you know, it'll be security to assist with their security. There's all these pitches already, all these narratives are already been constructed. The other area of interest is the Ukraine. The EU have already said that they're going to go into the Ukraine and that area, all right? Now, that's a hotspot. You're seconds away from Russia, all right? They're not stupid. The Russians know all about this, all right? Their intelligence, don't underestimate it. It's very good. They know all about this. They know exactly what's going on, all right? The problem we've got is a threshold level of general public in Britain having the awareness, awareness levels of what's what. So... Yes. It's hard for me to, it's genuinely hard for me to comment, David. I mean, I, I, it, this is clearly an agenda. The way I see it, it's an agenda that's gone on for, as I say, the last 8,000 years since, since these sociopaths realized they could enslave us all with this system of usury. So money lending, um, then you realise they could achieve ultimate power, as in as in playing the whole world, and it's just what we're seeing. When I heard the the Brexit thing, <laughs> we're not leaving Europe. No. That's not part of the plan. No. Just it's not part. It's it's not part of the plan. It it, it, it doesn't. Politics. Work. Yeah, politics works back to front. It works yeah. negative to positive. That's how it's currently working. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying how it works. All right. You want something to happen. It's all engineered back to front, all right? Now, the big thing about Brexit is, of course, is let's, so let's come back to Maggie and the no, 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 right? No currency union, no defence union, uh, and no, you're not taking our national veto away, all right? Von der Leyen has already stated openly in terms, no national veto in defence and security. Now, we're in defence union because the payment vehicle went into Horizon Europe. OK, the legal framework is already established. OK, it's all systems go unless there's enough public pushback to say no to this. All right. 
Now, if you wanted to think of a like a, you know, what's, you know, just look at the fishing, all right? Just look at the absolute unmitigated, from a national perspective, disaster of British fishing, all right? For, on a national level. Panny, you? No, no, we're fine. That's, that's great, okay? Now think defense and security. And I'm gonna, we'll close this session, I think, probably on, on this, Chris. Mm. It includes nuclear weapons. The Franco-British nuclear weapon uh, envelope will go into defense union because the Germans have already stated, several, several of them are on the record, right? That that's a must because it needs to be genuine and credible. Now, any military force, as well you know, cannot be, in basic terms, either genuine or credible without a nuclear capability. Now, remember, Trident was voted for renewal before the Brexit referendum vote. And yet, I'm getting all these interesting reports of joint French and British nuclear stockpiles and joint French and British strategic uh, operations with the bombers and the attack submarines. So they've already brought that together and it's obviously under a massive veil of secrecy that already existed as the national force. But of course, Cameron took us into a joint nuclear, a, a joint defense arrangement with the French before Brexit in the Lancaster House Agreement. Now, bearing in mind that the EU have already stated that the bilateral defense agreements and the multilateral defense agreements form. Where you gone? I'm still here. You gone? Now my screen's disappeared. Um, I've already, you know, I've already uh, declared. You know that that that's already in place. So that they, the EU have said, well, all that, all those defense deals that you've got existingly all form part of defense union. It's part of the unification process. So on on that massive nugget. I think we need to let people have a think and then we'll probably come back in another session, Chris, if that's all right. Yes, of course, mate. And it's very gracious that you've come and presented this information. Can I just say, David, don't tap the pen on the top or wherever it is. It's going to we're going to have people listen on iTunes that are going to be throwing their their iPods at us. <laughs> I'm clicking my pen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I just want to highlight the wonderful work of Graham Moore. Who. You know, we're all aware of this. We're aware of what's happening. We're systematically being forced to lose our identity. For me, I'm an Englishman born in, born in England. I have a constitution, believe it or not. Um, and again, I'm not like a nitty gritty guy. I, I, I don't always get the minutiae, but what I do understand is um, that I have rights, I have inalienable rights, inalienable as, rights. Yeah. as a human being. And these have been ridden roughshod odds. Let, let's not use any of the uh, buzzwords of what's going on at the moment, but you've only got to look out the window or go into a supermarket to realize the sociopaths are running the whole fucking shop, right? They're getting... Um, there's, there's clearly... I've tended to see a lot of psychopathic and uh, tendencies with, with the people that I've sort of attempted to kind of get sense with in Parliament. 
Um, I, I didn't get that with the officers, uh, but I certainly got it with the politicians. Uh, and there's an element of megalomania as well. And of course, you then get into all these other areas. But, you know, at the end of the day, they've all we've got to work with as a people. We've only got Parliament. It's our only way in our current system under the Constitution of Crown, uh, co Crown Corporate, although, although it is. I don't think it was set out to be that in 1688, but that's what it is now. We have our Parliament and the Lords. And of course, the Lords is being attacked. And we've got a Parliament that, as Lord Sumption has said, has basically been anaesthetised under this current uh, COVID um, uh, situation. So, you know, but the MPs are all we've got to work with. But I know only too well just how hard it is to deal with them. But that's all we've got. Uh, and it can't be a case of giving up and doing nothing. Everybody has got to do a bit. Mm. Otherwise, nothing will change. Yeah. Um, the problem is, David, they're all in the matrix, aren't they? They're all old school, controlled by the sociopaths. As, as yeah, well, you've got, you know, the Bullingdon Club has took over number 10, you know, and I think Boris is a good example, isn't he, at the minute, of just what cap capability we've got. I can come at this from a really good angle. I've got a friend who runs uh, a regional growth hub, so that's business. And he said to me, he's been in politics since 1989, and this is the worst government he's ever seen. They are abysmal. But you've only got to look at Boris's track record. Well, for start off, it's not his, his name. His name's Alexander. Boris is the pen name. Uh, Al to his friends, and I believe some of the others call him Sasha. But this is a guy that was pushed out from the Times for lying, made an arrangement with the Telegraph when he took the job on that he wasn't going to go into politics and be an MP. And a few weeks after he got the job at the Telegraph as a reporter, instantly went on the, the approved parliamentary candidate list and become an MP. So... Anybody that's mad fool enough to take anything this guy says as solid, I think is is missing it, you know. Yeah, I'd come at that from a different angle, mate. I'd say he's an exceptional MP. <laughs> well, I, if you, yes, Chris, yeah, he's brilliant. I, I yeah. would say he does the job bang on as perfect as he is supposed to. Why? Yeah. Because it doesn't work for you and me. It doesn't work for our families, our communities, the nation, this wonderful nation of England. Yeah. And, and obviously great by, by that, I'm including Great Britain. He sure. works for the sociopaths that want to screw us. And he does it very, very right. well. And yeah. he even gets people to like him because yeah. he's a in the process guy with this blonde Mohican. And, yeah. and of course, until people wake up and, and stop living in that matrix, we're 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 doomed you know we're, we're we're doomed to this existence of a constant state of fear war death scaremongering social control um thought police thought speech or, or new speak rather yeah, and, new speak, and, I, yeah. and, and i know i'm preaching to the choir mate i'm just i'm airing this because yeah. we, we you can't change the system by being in the system it's just it's it's never going to work it's it's it's, incre um, it's incredibly difficult and i've had a lot of friends and acquaintances that that joined in and went into the, you know let's say the tory party uh, and thinking that they could wow okay good luck with that you know yeah. but uh, what what let's let's end on a positive david is people are getting getting this now all the stuff that i'm saying they're getting it yeah. they can see that going to vote just it makes absolutely no 
no no different even if the green party got in they're all going to be corruptible because they're all under this system they're only going to go through the glass ceiling if they yeah. sign that sign the right white papers or whatever whatever the case case may be um i think it's wonderful we're having this chat because there'll be people listening now that go i get it i get it the question is, how can we, I know you've got some wonderful veterans on board. I know that all of us as veterans, we, we, we did our job because we wanted freedom, truth and democracy. So like we are the good guys. But of course, yeah. when you're co-opted under that system, David Petraeus, no disrespect meant, was, is a classic example. When, when you think of the, the role he, he played, was it in the first Gulf War? Or was it Afghanistan? I'm, I'm, it, it's we're bit storming Norman, didn't we? In in in, in the Gulf, yeah, but you know, off too in Afghanistan, but yeah, a bit of both. Yeah, you know, these guys are doing the job that 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 that, that they're paid to do because they're paid by these guys. Not, you know, they use our taxpayers' money to do it. Of course they do. So, yes. Um, We've got wonderful veterans. They just need this tweaking to get out of the matrix and yeah. stop trying to use that system to change. Yeah, the well, we, I, I think, yeah, the way the way to do this is let's let's do it like this. You know, veterans, friends, and family give or take adds up to you know 10, 15 million people. You know, that's a majority. Okay, so we just need the vets all to focus on two issues. One, the legal pursuit is because of EU legal framework. And we're going into defence union. Can join the two. Are issues. we talking about the Northern Ireland chasing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, well, but bearing in mind, you know, I'm told I can't confirm this, but I'm told there are hundreds of cases waiting at the MOD. Mm. All right, that if they get away with Dennis Hutchins, that they will escalate. All right, so you know, uh, this affects everyone personally. All right, get those letters into your MP. Get this stopped. All right. They can't not support the vets politically. So we're on a winner with that one. Right. They will reply, but don't email. Right. Pen and paper. Now, the brilliant thing is about the system is that what we need is a multitude of veterans per constituency, at least 10. And now there's a reason for that, because the threshold letter for uh, threshold level for interest for an MP is 10 letters. 10 letters equals 10,000 people, okay? That could threaten the seat, could threaten the stability of the system and the structure, all right? They have an interest level at 10. So I'm sure we can get 10 vets per MP right in, want this legal pursuit of veterans stopped, okay? Write to the Attorney General, be prescriptive with your MP, instruct them. Now, what will happen then is, is that gets a flag, 10 letters per seat gets a flag. Those flags go down to CCHQ command, Conservative Party headquarters. Okay, somewhat it will be picked up. And if we get enough nationally, that goes into the cabinet office. All right, because what we've got to do is kind of, you know, reverse the game, you know, the, 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 the hybrid warfare that we're in now. You think hybrid warfare was for Afghanistan and Iraq? No, 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 it's here in the UK as well. All right, is that we've got to put the pressure on the, on the civil servants to stop this because they know that there are 10 to 15 million people that have gone, we know what you're doing and you need to stop. All right. Because obviously at the point, if they don't stop, then there's other, there's other options got to be discussed. All right. But David, does it, 
does it not get complicated though? I had this chat with um, Robin Horsfowl, SAS, when he came on the podcast and the issue I, and I put my, my question to Robin was yet, yeah, like I, I sort of get it, but what if, what if, I said to him, what if you were a bloody minded young soldier in Northern Ireland and, and, and I witnessed this happen during my time in the services and because you've got a rifle in your hand and let's just say, for example, a joyrider whizzes by you, you know they're a joyrider, they're probably a 13 year old kid, in fact a 13 year old girl, girl was shot dead by the parachute regiment at the time that I'm talking about, right? And it was just a case of the guy had a gun and he went, oh, you didn't stop and bang. And then he shot this 13 year old dead, right? There wasn't in our remit. It wasn't what, what we were there to do, et cetera, et cetera. And if I was that, the father of that girl, I'd, I'd want to see that guy, I'd want justice, right? Um, I'd want justice. Robin's reply was, Chris, these people have already been put through the legal system and they've been proved or, or shown to be not, not guilty, right? So I get that. I get that. If you've, if, you've done, if you've had three bloody court cases and all of them, you know, and, and, and let's remember, folks, this takes up 10 years of your life. I've got Brian Wood, Brian Wood, and Brian Wood MC has just been on the podcast. Right. Very lovely yeah. gentleman. Um, and he lost almost a decade, a decade. this hounding. So, and then it was found completely innocent of all charges and, and the guy's an MC. So he's a, he's a war hero as well. Right. So like, I, I, I get that. The, the issue is what about, what about the people that do deserve to be prosecuted? Uh, I, I mean, does that not all get washed away if we're calling for complete exoneration or, or, or is there a case for complete? I mean, I, I know the IRA got complete exoneration under the Good yeah, Friday. No, they, yeah, well, I mean, there's there's probably one you know one way of looking at it. You know, well, there was there was absolute you know completely. Well, just you know, you're all exonerated, and there's there's nothing. There's no cases to answer. So there's not. It's for a start off. It's not a level field. Um, just coming back to the sort of focus and sort of the the, the camp the, the campaigning and the letter writing to MPs. Right. Just on the bigger picture, of course, is if you, if the if the, what we suspect is true that they do escalate these cases into the hundreds, you're going to play as a veteran sort of kind of legal route, you know, legal Russian roulette. You know, it's going to be like a lottery. You know, are you going to be one of those that draws a ticket? So there's that angle. So the you know the the safety there is everyone's got to put up a fight. Right, it needs to be a line drawn. Right, we can't have them break the line. Now, of course, if they break the line with Dennis Hutchins. Remember the precedent, judge only, remote court, no jury. You've lost the Bill of Rights straight away, right? Now, what we've got to do is go, no, 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 no. You want to put Dennis, and this is the gambit at the minute with Dennis, is that you want to put him in court unless there's a jury under the Bill of Rights, which is in full force, right? Then if you're not going to give him that, then you need to just drop it and go away. Forget it, all right? Now, that bigger political picture becomes a lot easier to fight once we use that gambit. But the focus, one thing I've learned from a lot of, a lot of these military guys is that, that, that you know, I've lobbied with and campaigned with, 
the focus has to go on the individual responsible. And the one thing that we saw with the iHat, where we come back to Brian, Brian Wood, mm. was that when the focus went on Lovegrove, it stopped and they stopped it. Now there's, there's the benchmark, mate. Hey, can you explain Lovegrove? For, for Stephen Lovegrove was the permanent secretary at the MOD. All right. Now he's now the head of national security. Uh, he took over in effect from David Frost, who was there briefly over the Brexit period. So David Frost was the head of national security as well. So don't, you know, defense isn't, it isn't a big, a big issue. Just, you know, okay, well, there you, there's, what do you more do you need to know? Previous to that, it was Sir Mark Sedwell. And Mark Sedwell's a good, a, a very good, a, an interesting um, uh, figure in all this. And I'll, I think we should probably close on him because it's quite relevant. He was head of the civil service, head of the cabinet office, right, which is the government, the system, and he was also head of national security. So every bit of military security and intelligence, whatever, the lot, lock, stock and barrel, ended up on his desk, him, single point, okay? Now, there was a lot of pressure and exposure put on him because of this fact. He had more power than Charles I, in effect. He sidestepped out of the office when Boris came in, and he became chair of the Atlantic Council which is a defense group. Now, this is, the, this is the important bit where it's like, you know, the blags up. Mark Sedwell went on camera in a Zoom meeting. There's a copy of it on my Twitter feed. So it's at Ellis Report. Um, he went on camera with a, 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 a Frenchman and stated that he endorsed going into European Defense Union. Okay, so let's just say that this network, the system of all these civil servants that we've heard so much about that Dominic Cummins wanted to sort of sort it all out, um, that they're really the power. You know, there's a tiny group of them. All right. So Lovegrove was one of these um, top civil servants that run the MOD. So he run all of that agenda with IHAT. Okay. And he had a he when he first took the job on now, bearing in mind, he's a Deutsche banker. He's had no defense or security experience previously, Chris. None. Nothing industrially, nothing about making anything, nothing to do with the military. He's a Deutsche Banker. And his job at Deutsche Banker was European media. All right. European media acquisitions or mergers or, you know, or lending or whatever. That was his job at Deutsche Bank. And he'd come from there, did a bit with the government stakeholder, which is where they sell government stocks and shares to make money. And then he went into the MOD. The start of that in 2016, roughly, he announced a program of modernization, all right? Okay, which is just a euphemism for unifying the military into, into a pan-EU system. So that's, you know, so he's now head of national security. So that just as a benchmark and in closing, we've got the two things in tandem, all right? We've got Lovegrove, now head of national security, oversaw all of these legal pursuits and all of this period that we've had of massive, uh, reduction in fighting capability with the British military, right? And then we've got Sir Mark Sedwell endorsing going into European Defence Union, and we're now about to have a review, which is obviously where all the dirty work's gone on. And I can tell you for a fact, a lot of the senior officers I'm speaking to that are ex, they are saying they're being told to shut up until the review's published. The in-service won't speak because they'll all lose their jobs, all right? They won't speak up. So with the leading from the front that Dan is talking about got a problem with that and of course Dennis's gambit um this week that he put up that I think's caused a reaction in the telegraph with a couple of articles that just come out in the telegraph 
is that the officers have to speak up. Mm, right? I saw that. If they won't, then we need veterans, friends and family to do it all in parallel. So there's this big mass to go, right, not doing this, had enough, and you need to pack it up. So there we go. David, listen, let's end it there so it's a nice short hour for people to get their heads around. Um, friends, put stuff in the comments. Let us know what you're thinking about, uh, about this. Let us know what your views are. Should we be part of a European defence force? What do we think about that? And then David and I will have a basis on, on, on which to take our next conversation forward. If friends, you could like and subscribe. Um, I know 80% of you watching this now will not subscribe to the channel, so you won't see the follow up to this. So please like, subscribe, hit the notifications bell. And on that note, David, I just want to thank you so much personally for your commitment, your courage uh, and your foresight and your support of this, this great land. Thank you. And you, Chris. I'll Good. do my best. <laughs>